Hi, baby. It's me. I'm driving to work. If I don't talk to you, I'll just talk to you this evening when I get off. It'll be late. So I love you very much, and I will talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Hey. Wake up. Wake up. Days booby trapped with animosity, reeking of gunpowder's acrid bite. When the bass heavy beat of police brutality makes it so you can't breathe. And kids begin the new school year with face masks and bulletproof backpacks. When homegrown terrorists keep getting younger and younger and hate speech grows louder and louder. When those who perish from shootings, stabbings, beatings, lynchings, overdose, suicide, and disease are reduced to body bag hashtags on social media. So heavy these tombstone days when chaos holds sway and pallbearers bear the weight of still another coffin across the worn, cobbled streets of our eyes. In between it all, moments of dignity, a kind word, a shared kiss, a prayer for peace, teaching a child to say please and thank you. Here, contentment is revealed. Everything is radiant between the hates. to the Social Yet Distance podcast. My name is Jack Varnell. I am the host for the evening. Um, and we'll say hello to the other f- host, Fran Locke in London. Hi, Fran. And today we're going to be with Rich uh, Ferguson from Los Angeles, California, um, who is a poet extraordinaire um, known around the world as uh, uh, probably the predominant beat poet um, still working the real uh, beat circuit these days, <laughs> but um, it, for what that is in these in these times. But uh, I've known Rich's work for a long time, and I'm not going to dance a whole lot around talking. We're just going to shoot the breeze here and and cover uh, what Rich has going on about his new his new book that's come out, and point you to some other resources that might help you to uh, get to know Rich and his work a lot more. So with that, I'd like to say welcome, Rich. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Jack. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. And and hey, if nobody else, me and you will watch it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I can send it to friends about... and family. And... Yeah, exactly. And whoever will take the five bucks that I'm trying to give them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's just get right down to business. I mean, I've been watching your work for quite some time now. And I, in fact, maybe you can help me remember, there was a guy who did a lot of video on the scene in LA. Um, and I think that's where I was first introduced to you. And, and he did a lot of the events and I've tried for a year now to remember what his name was and maybe that'll ring a bell, but he was pretty notorious for um, 
being at all of the LA events, but you know, YouTube and 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 being a, a writer and a poet and having lots of friends out there, it was pretty natural progression to end up on your doorstep at some point. Yeah. Um, and and so that's kind of where it all started for me. How about for you? Where did it all start for you? Well, one thing I have to say, kind of on piggyback of what you were just talking about, I've been pretty fortunate here in LA. You know, I've been here for, for some years now. I, I actually came to LA twice. I originally came to LA after I had been in San Francisco like, wow, back late 80s, and I'd been in a band there, and, you know, the band broke up. I was like, I'll come to L.A., give it a shot. I lasted here for about nine months after I had told myself I'd, la you know, give it a year and just hated it. In fact, hated it so much I bought a one-way ticket to London, <laughs> swore I'd never come back. But I eventually worked my way back and, you know, have been here and, you know, it's a big place and I've been really fortunate to make some really good friends over the years, some really talented friends. There's so many talented people here in Los Angeles, be it poetry, um, music, you know, in, in all walks of life, just so many amazing people. And it does take time to, as you know, I know, you know, it, it takes time to cultivate relationships. And I do feel very fortunate that I've, I have some really strong allies, you know, and uh, I do my best to support the community as well. Yeah, I think that's really what it's all about. I'm sure we'll touch on that more as, you know, the, the, the I scratch, you scratch is really what makes the difference, I think, long term. But I also, you know, in listening to you describe what happened, you know, it, it strikes me that even in my own life, and I think it's probably a pretty common theme that you know, we may find ourselves in the pockets of a place where it just doesn't feel right, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong place, you know? That's, it, that's really well said. You know, I mean, you, the timing wasn't right and the environment wasn't right and the right people weren't in your path for that first go, go round. And, you know, to me, without even knowing any more of the story, I know that you're back in L.A., so that tells me something about Rich Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. The the first time I left and swore I'd never come back, I had eventually gotten to a point where I felt like, you know, there, there was something back in L.A. I didn't really deal with. Like, I need to go back and deal with whatever it was in L.A. that made me leave. I need to deal with myself. I need to deal with L.A. And go back, make your peace with it. And if that means you leave again, leave in peace, you know, but you need to go back and, and deal with it. And uh, I did. And I, I had a much better attitude the next time around. And once I found myself having a better attitude, and like you said, you know, the place might be right, but just your feelings about it at a certain time, it just might not be right. I like how you said that. And, sure. and it was true, you know, it wasn't right that first time, but that didn't mean LA wasn't eventually the right place for me. You can't fire me, L.A. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of how that's sort of how I felt. You know, it's like I need to go back and, you know, quit this job on good terms or, or stay and deal with it. 
Well, I, you know, I think as you, as you go through life, you eventually learn that there's, you know, all the energy and resources it takes to burn a bridge is really not worth it in the end. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, there are places where I probably would not be so comfortable going just because I know the way I left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That's, you know, that's the kind of uh, progress as a human I hope to make is, you know, get away from those times. And, and yeah, so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. So let that be a lesson to everyone out there. Save your gasoline for your cars or whatever lawnmowers. Don't burn your bridges, people. Yeah, yeah. Get you a big battery and run your car on that instead. There you go. Better yet. Yeah. <laughs> run it on a battery. Less chance you're going to set anybody on fire in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No self-emulation so, either. As far as, so how do you get from, from this traveling back and forth and coming to know yourself to words on a page and performing in an audience? How does that happen? Yeah. Well, when I was... In San Francisco, well, originally I was back east in New Jersey, and I, when I was in college, I was kind of a late bloomer, late starter. I started playing drums in college, and I was going to New York City, taking drum lessons, taking the bus up there, and so I really started getting into music when I was in college, and sort of got that whole go west young man vibe like i'm gonna like pack my car up after college go out to california seek my fame and fortune and all that and came out to california but actually decided to go to san francisco first rather than sort of the obvious coming to la and the first place i stopped in san francisco was city lights books and i had always kind of had an interest in writing and poetry as i sort of went through high school and college and I went to City Lights and I picked up Gregory Corso's gasoline and suddenly it was just like everything clicked into place. So it was like, this is where I'm talking about like where you're supposed to be. It was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And things started falling into place, going to poetry readings, you know, playing music. And those lines really started to blur as far as like the music and the poetry, the band I was in, um, it was called Blue Movie, and they were really, Jim and Dave, they were really cool about giving me leeway to, uh, not you know, not only was I singing in the group and stuff, but, you know, I would break into poetry at times. And it was a time in San Francisco where it was like, it was like, yeah, drummer breaking into poetry. It's part of the scene. It's quite natural. Right. And, uh, and, and, that, and that sort of hybrid and of music and poetry has really followed me since then. And I really have been, you know, talking about people here in L.A., Butch Norton, who now plays for Lucinda Williams. And he was co-founder of The Eels and has played with Tracy Chapman and all these great people. But, you know, I've been very fortunate to have like people like Butch who accompany me either doing in fact butch and i are going to record on sunday we're going to do a few homegrown spoken word drum videos he's going to play and you know so i i'm really always trying to either incorporate live musicians into performances or into videos that i do and even when i perform solo i have so much of that drummer's mind where I either, you know, the, the, the 
the beat, so to say, or the melody of the words really kind of comes out through my body and stuff because I've internalized rhythm and music so much over the years. And also, being a drummer, it's really uh, helped to fine tune my sense of editing. So I'll write something and then I'll look at it on the page. I'll sort of speak it to myself or speak it aloud. And my drummer's ear will start kind of hearing like, yeah, this part sings, this part's clunky. You need to edit it so it, it has more of a rhythm that it sings more. So, Yeah, I've always been really jealous of... Um, of 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 your work and that you do kind of what I always wanted to do. And that's almost old school style pairing of music and words and, and, you know, the whole beret and snapping your fingers and, you know, the whole persona of a beat poet, you know, but, but it's the technology and the tie back into the nostalgia that gets me as well. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just you know if if given my druthers on a project i would want to do something like a coffee table book and an lp that goes with it you know or yeah. something you know something along those lines and it, it, that's kind of like 3d in the world of art you know it's like it's not one or the other it's a hybrid of all of the above and 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 the compliment in, in what I'm trying to say is that that hybrid is, is a unique form, I believe, um, that combines the best of a lot of other forms. And, and you do it quite well, my friend. I will say that. Well, thank you. Thank uh, and, you. And then you back it up with the technology of the day, too, and put it in a video form with, you know, good music and graphics and color. And, you know, it's not just there's nothing static about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I've been, you know, in addition to some of the musicians I've played, played with, I've been really fortunate to work with a, a director here in Los Angeles, Mark Wilkinson. We've done a few videos together, Chris Burdick. We've done a few. And, you know, you hit on an interesting point. I like that idea you said of sort of this three-dimensional thing. You know, there was a time where I was performing and mostly just uh, working on, you know, stage, performing on stage, performing for live events. And I really liked that, but I was kind of feeling like I want to go, as you were saying, more three-dimensional. I was like, how can I sort of reach beyond just a live audience? And so my natural progression was, I want to do videos, you know, that'll reach a larger audience. I can, you know, get videos out there and people all across the world can see these and, I started doing that. And then, you know, as you were mentioning, I started incorporating music because that's what I'd been doing for a number of years anyway. So it just became these really sort of interesting spoken word music videos. And like you were saying, you know, I was tried to pull in musicians that I was playing with to keep things a bit more current rather than, I mean, I really appreciate things done in the past and things that, you know, kind of have a retro feel or whatever, but I also like, you know, just boom, boom, just getting well, really, yeah. yeah, in your face and heavy. Well, you know, and the other thing, I, I've interviewed probably five or six different poets this week, and I've, I've asked them all, and I'd be curious to hear your answer as well, um, of 
what what do you see happens to the world of poetry and Zoom readings once the you know everybody's been vaccinated and we're free to go? <laughs> you know, what, That's a what do you yeah. see happening at that point as far as this medium that we're in right now? I would hope it would stay sort of a hybrid. In fact, I was I did an event at Chevalier's books a couple weeks ago. It's a local indie bookstore here in LA, just up the street from me. And, you know, they've been a big supporter of mine for a while. And I've done some live events there, like monthly events that I've helped to host. And I'm very excited when they go back live, you know, do things there. And, and I asked them, I said, you know, when we come out of the pandemic, are you going to just do in-store events? Are you going to also do sort of a hybrid where you'll keep the Zoom events? And, you know, and we got into a discussion and I was feeling like, and they were in agreement. It's like, why not keep both? I mean, yeah, let's go back to live events, but why not continual, continue with the technology and have open readings or whatever, where you don't only have the poets that are there on stage but and maybe you don't do it the same night maybe you don't have an event that's both virtual and live might get a little complicated but or it could be cool but have one night that's a live event and another night of the event another night of the week that's a virtual event you can pull people from all over the world and they can be part of the reading that couldn't be in let's say los angeles for that night you're doing a poetry reading yeah i i and i believe like this podcast, for example, exists kind of a, because of an idea I had a few months ago. And, and the thought was that, you know, there's a lot of us out here and we're all really good writers and we, 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 we're putting out quality content out there, but it ends up in a $10 chat book that we end up selling to all our circle of friends, but the rest of the world has no clue that that book even exists yeah so how do we get that out there and you know for for years now uh you know i would see uh such and such event or so and so's reading it beyond baroque and i would send an email to iris or sa or razor or whoever was out there and i'd say hey look who's doing the video on this stuff yeah there's some way i can see this you know and most of the time, occasionally there would be an, an opportunity, but most of the time there, there was no way to do that. And coming from that technical background, I knew that wasn't the case. Check, check, can you hear me? Check, check, can you hear me? Beyond the bomb, beyond all we've achieved and grieved. Beyond the fog of war, the fog of rage. Check, check, can you hear me? Beyond love-abandoned streets where hate is only a neighbor away Where bus stop saints are one too many prayers away From their desired destination Check, check, can you hear me? Check, check, can you hear me? Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? Teardrops fall 
check, can you hear me? Beyond COVID and quarantines, bullets and bigotry, beyond solipsisms of singular-minded politicians, hell-bent on hate-hearted anthems, beyond riots and revelations, beyond rabbit holes of QAnon conspiracy theories, where some would rather get lost than discuss the significance of why black lives matter, matter. Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? Teardrops fall and explode. Check, check, can you hear me? Through chaos and caress, white noise and destroy. Beyond ghettos of weeping and boneyards of disbelief, can you hear me? Beyond firing squads reloading and mind bombs exploding at the end of a thought, at the apocalypse, Walt, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? Teardrops fall and explode. Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? It just wasn't being done and nobody was taking that, those reins. So, you know, it, it went from this idea of, of, of let's expand our audience to where we could sell books to a, a bigger audience of people to let's, you know, this is really about the evangelism of the word. And if that's what the goal is, then, it, you know, is to entertain and inform and educate and whatever art is all about then why not have live events? Why not have it at the same time? I mean, the Zoom account I have has room for a hundred people, you know? That's a yeah. pretty good night of poetry, you know? Heck <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and you, so, you know, you, you log in and you go to this event and you download a PDF that goes with the event and you read along and you sing or, you, you know, meanwhile, that's just the Zoom. You've still got YouTube and Facebook and other mediums that are broadcasting this. So people are actually enjoying the streams, whether they're involved in it or not, and actually participating. As you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen how that happens. Oh yeah, I've, I've met so many amazing people and heard so much amazing poetry that I would not have heard had we not had this period of time that, you know, I mean, you know, granted, all this saying, I would rather have not had a massive pandemic, but 
when we talk about those silver linings, there have been so many silver linings of this where I'm, you know, meeting with people, you know, people like you right now and talking about poetry. And I've been to some virtual events where I've heard amazing poets from all over the place. And, you know, we were talking earlier before the show about our mic, you know, you, you have your new microphone. I have my microphone here that I got during quarantine because I started doing more recording at home. And I, being home at quarantine, it's enabled me to, out of necessity, to do more home recordings to get better at film editing because I can't reach out to those people that I normally would have reached out to during regular times. So I'm getting better at my own skills, but because of the technology, you know, I've been able to collaborate with some really wonderful people. Uh, uh, Frederick Iriarte, this uh, composer in Sweden, we've done some collaborations together, uh, words, music stuff, uh, Kath uh, Kathleen Reichelt, a visual artist and a poet up in Canada. She's, I've put some poems to her visual art and yeah, I've just been meeting these amazing people and it's just been the idea of camaraderie and collaboration and not burning bridges. <laughs> well, and, and again, I am so much an evangelist. If I get on fire about something, you, it's very difficult to shut me up about it. And, you know, that's, that's the thing with me. I, I realize that for the most case, in most cases, none of us are going to get rich off of being writers or poets or performers or in, in most cases. So there is a reality to that, but that doesn't, there's also a reality that people like to read and people enjoy the written word and they enjoy, and some of them are lazy and they'd rather see it in a video form. And all of them would like to see them on their Kindle maybe and not just necessarily have to pick up a book. You know, so it's kind of our responsibility. If I'm gonna be the evangelist, I need to be aware of what those tools of delivery really are to, to sell the, the people on what ke keeps me on fire about the written word, you know? Yeah, that's well said. And also to, to be open to all those mediums and not disparage any of them because they are all viable mediums to different sectors of society. And we as communicators need to be able, you know, it's like if someone wants to uh, hear a poem and smoke signals, I need to have someone teach me, but I'm open to it. But yeah, we need to be able to be open to communicating in whatever form that just gets it out there and gets it to the people. Very wise man taught me a long time ago that uh, you need to learn how to talk to people in the language that they speak, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I could be a, the smartest man in the world, but if I'm talking at you and you don't understand what I'm saying, it's pointless. So, That's true. It's and, true. And it's also dangerous because I'm known for not shutting up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, you know, you have a podcast now, so you can put it to good, you know, good use. Yeah, I, I actually made the statement the other day to somebody that I can do that. It's my show. <laughs> And I realized where I was and that it was me and four other people listening every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 
Hey, I'll, I'll take my own power out there. I get it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, what would you like to talk about now? Do you do you have other plans? Do you want to talk about this current book? You want to read some poetry? What's what? what yeah, the... I'll I'll sort of plug the book and and read a poem from it. So, uh, my most current collection is called "Everything Is Radiant Between the Hates," and it's released by Eric Morago and Moontide Press. It was released just this last January. So, you know, a few months ago, originally it was scheduled to be released last year in like September, something like September. And then it sort of got pushed to October. And then as it was getting closer to November, I said to Eric, I was like, you know what, there's so much noise with just the shit show of 2020 and the election. Let's just put it off to 2021, brand new year, brand new start. And he agreed. He's like, you know what? It'll be my first. It'll be Moontide's first release in 2021. And so, I was totally up for that. And yeah, so I'm very happy about that. And you know, prior to that, there'd been the first poetry collection I had, Eighth and Agony, which was, you know, you were mentioning Iris earlier. That was released on Iris Berry's Punk Hostage Press. And really grateful to Iris because you know she gave me that opportunity to release my first book. And then, you know, it took me a little while to get from that one to this most current co collection. There were periods where I thought it was ready. And, and as I'm sure you can relate with your own work, there are times where it's ready. And then you're like, yeah, maybe it's not ready. And I just, because I perform live so much, it was like, I didn't feel that burning need. It's like, it'll get out into the world as a book when it's ready. Meanwhile, I can just keep performing live and it you know it eventually felt ready with eric and yeah so i'm gonna do this one um you know being here in la i'll do an la piece from the collection this is called soundtrack to a modern day la palm noir sounds of hollywoodland thrills and chills set in ultra moody hues of 1940s 50s gangster la Brass knuckled fast talk of hard-boiled thugs and detectives, kiss me deadly melodies of femme fatales, bar brawls, cat calls, the cold click of stiletto heels, stiletto blades, and more cooler doors closing on still another John Doe. Those sounds mixed with present-day sounds, riotous rhythms forged from hands of Lemurk Park djembe demigods break beating on wings of rap and revolution, car horns, car radios, car alarms, freeways clogged with huddled and befuddled masses inching towards invention, reinvention, prosperity, invisibility. Our past and present city sounds combining and recombining to create the soundtrack to a modern day. L.A. Palm Noir, a white heat double indemnity song of live and die set deep in the blood, pulsing through the hearts and minds of one and all. Century City lawyers to San Pedro dock workers, West Side yoga warriors to Skid Row warriors, drug addicts to the clean and sober, clergy members to tattooed rock gods, those on their deathbeds and those suffering from fevered dreams of almighty stardom, our soundtrack to a modern day L.A. Palm Noir. Packs the hot and howling will of Santa Ana winds, earworms its way into our soul, jukeboxes with our inner demons, seeks alleyways as if they're confessionals in which to share sins, its mirrors and reflections, rain and complex plot lines, fingernails dragging across our blackboard jungle brains as that voice in our head proclaims, yeah, I've been beaten up, but I'm not beaten. 
and I'm not quitting. Our soundtrack to a modern-day L.A. palm noir, stained with its history of notorious crimes and criminals, the Black Dahlia to share and take the hillside strangler to the grim sleeper. It's a hymn filled with hums of late-night neon signs and the short vowel sound of death's last sigh on a victim's lips. Ohms and bad omens, sirens and babies crying, police helicopters circling, buzzing like hornets out for a sudden sting. One must develop an ear for our city song, harmonize slow and steady at first, then cruise into the fast lane, dodge multi-car pileups of those who've burned out before burning bright, anxious leaps of faith that only a precious few have survived our soundtrack to a modern-day L.A. Palm Noir, allured and lethal hunger fueled by gasoline, sweat and tears, decked out in false eyelashes and false promises. It's a true love and true crime booty call wooing with stroked and stoked hallelujahs purring like sex kittens knitting kisses out of thin air moving grooving coaxing cajoling ready to find us innocent or guilty beneath midnight street lights shining like halos and interrogation lights our soundtrack to a modern day la palm noir it's a death song in the key of cordite heard by sam cook when taking a bullet at the hacienda hotel it's a non-stop party song Wailed by Tom Waits, Iggy Pop, and Janis Joplin at the Tropicana in the low-rent, high-spirited, late-60s songbirds sit on phone lines, mimicking our city's Revan Dread soundtrack. Earthquakes only visit us because they want to learn how to shake, rattle, and roll like we do. From Alvera Street to Rodeo Drive, Watts Tower to the Miracle Mile, generations of races and ethnicities, occupations and preoccupations adding to our city's song. From labor movements battling 1920s union busters to 50s and 60s Chavez Ravine families facing down bulldozers and eviction notices from African Americans chased out of 1930s sundown towns to the later cries of Rodney King when suffering the blows and bruises of racism wielding police from the technicolor visions of Timothy Leary to the technicolor machinations of Raymond Chandler, our city's song. It can be so serious and surreal. Drum loops of dull footsteps pacing confines of six by eight cells at Men's Central Jail mixed with the disembodied voice of Joe Gillis narrating the story of Sunset Boulevard while floating dead in a swimming pool. Other days, our city song is a raucous hip-hop crumping and locking down Hollywood Boulevard, a funky freestyle red carpet gala popping with paparazzi and Klieg light bonfires illuminating our highest cells, yeah. Let us shine, let us shine, let us shine. Our gangsterfied and glorified city sounds revving their engines, burning rubber on asphalt, breaking all natural and supernatural speed limits, drag racing down the 10 freeway, the 5, 405, 101, and 62, all points north, south, east, and west, from Koreatown to Croatian Place, Little Moscow to Little Ethiopia, Lake Balboa to Larchmont, Echo Park to the Palisades, every shade in LA's urban crayon box, creating the mood, mystery, shadows, and light, harboring the living and dead, Everything existing between celluloid and the flesh, all the devils and angels that are our dance partners in this manic and mystical, sadistic and symphonic soundtrack to a modern day LA Palm Noir. Power, man, power. <laughs> Thank you.
I, you know, I, I'm incredibly envious of people that can ha that can hang on to that rhythm, and 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 actually hang on to my attention with that much rhythm. <laughs> well, because I, I tend to I speak in a monotone voice anyway, so a, a lot of beat style poetry tends to get mon monotonous in my in my ears and your work has never done that at all it's like and you hide little nuggets of truth in, uh, in amongst a bunch of words that it, <laughs> it uh -huh. requires you to listen to what you're actually saying and I don't know that you do that on purpose but that's always been one of the things that that I that I that appeals to me as if if something can encourage me to listen closer because I know there's some truth in there, I'm always going to listen, you know, things like just mentioning Rodney King in the middle of all that stuff going on. There's a, a you know, a little political statement about Rodney King, right? You know, the other piece, you know, bulletproof backpacks and, and masks. Oh yeah. Starting school, you know, yeah, little pieces of truth throughout the the way that they're weaved into the poems is just like magic, brother. I can tell you. Thank you, thank I you. That like, means a lot like to me. A lot. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, speaking of that one piece, maybe if I can, I'll, I'll I'll do one more. This one actually is the title piece from the collection. Everything is radiant between the hates. Cool. Days booby-trapped with animosity reeking of gunpowder's acrid bite. When the bass-heavy beat of police brutality makes it so you can't breathe and kids begin the new school year with face masks and bulletproof backpacks. When homegrown terrorists keep getting younger and bullet speech grows louder when those who perish from shootings, beatings, lynchings, overdose and disease are reduced to body bag hashtags on social media. Yeah, so heavy these days when chaos holds sways and pallbearers bear the weight of still another coffin across the worn, cobbled streets of our eyes. In between it all, moments of grace, a kind word, a shared kiss, offering a child tender stick phrases such as please and thank you to illuminate their journey forward. Here, contentment is revealed. Everything is radiant between the hates. That's just a beautiful piece, man. And, and the video that accompanies it as well, I will just let it be known to the audience that uh, just because you've heard this piece doesn't mean that you've heard this piece. So go and, uh, and we'll try to put a link in the, uh, in the description for you to go and take a look at that. Yeah, that would be an example of a video that Butch Norton, who I mentioned earlier, he and I did, it was probably one of the first virtual collaborations I did once we went into quarantine. Butch and I were wanting to do something together, but we weren't quite sure what to do. And he sent me some videos of him playing. And I basically, uh, with a friend, Christian, went out to Venice Beach, filmed a bunch of footage. And this was where, you know, I was, I was creating my own uh, editing skills, you know, because I I had to edit it myself. So I brought all the footage, combined it with Butch, and created the video. And actually, the video ended 
winning an play, uh, winning an award. I uh, submitted it to a festival, but yeah. So you know, we we draw upon whatever skills, develop new skills here in quarantine, and it's been yeah, fun. Yeah, I definitely love the video, and I could see where it got some uh, some acclaim for sure. Um, the fact that you guys did it virtually like that is is something to be said for that as well. I mean, we we've been watching all these people on TV do it, you know, with expertise, but that's what they do. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we're just figuring this stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, uh, is there anything else we should cover before we close it out? Uh, no, I, I think we're good. I, I've, I've really appreciated our time together and it's, it's been uh, yeah. such a pleasure to speak with you. I, I love your words. Speaking of words of wisdom, I, love the words of wisdom you dropped along the way oh geez <laughs> it was obviously a mistake <laughs> i uh um well do this let's run down where you want people to get a hold of you and to, and to track down your books and things like that okay that sounds good well i have a lot of spoken word videos on youtube if you go to i mean you can search out rich ferguson on youtube but you have to probably put poet after it because there's a magician named rich ferguson and he's really good i mean you could watch some of his videos but if you want to see mine you probably have to put rich ferguson poet so there's that and then you know my collection everything is reading it between the hates it's available on moontide press you can find them online also available through independent bookstores i'm on facebook but again you should look for Rich Ferguson, the poet, rather than Rich Ferguson, the magician. He's on there, too. But he's a nice guy. We've actually uh, traded messages. He's really cool. And he's very good at what he does. Well, the, the Jack Varnell that I located uh, is a traveling, like, 1950s-style country-western singer. Wow. That's a great name for a country singer, uh, Jack Varnell. And he is, I mean, when you picture... He's like Conway Twitty looking kind of guy for real. And he still travels the like the Southern United States and plays in little juke joints and stuff. That's his deal. <laughs> That's hilarious. Real quick. One, one, one quick story of mistaken identity. I once, I once, this is going back a few years. I, I received a piece of mail and it, it, the handwriting on it was a little scary. It looked like it was like from some rabid fan or someone in prison or something. On the front, it said like Dick Ferguson or, and it was like from somewhere in the Midwest or something. I was like, what, what's this? And I thought like, maybe it's some person who randomly saw me some time ago when I was like on tour with my band and we were just playing somewhere in America. And I opened it up and, it was a letter and this card spilled out and it was this race car driver named Dick Ferguson. And the guy had written me and I guess found my name in a phone book or something and thought I was Dick Ferguson, a race car driver and wanted me to sign his card. Uh -huh. And I had to write him back and I'm like, I'm not the, I'm not the rich Ferguson you're looking for. I'm, I'm not, not the dick you think I am. I'm not the dick you think I am. <laughs> That could be the title of this episode of your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it very well may be if it makes it through the edit. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. I, Stranger things. I had a, a, a young lady on a couple of weeks ago, and I, I won't mention any names, but I 
she makes a statement. She says, my, uh, uh, my rage is as important as my queerness. And I titled the podcast that. And she said, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, Rich. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure, brother. I am going Likewise. to start the recording. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone. We will talk to you soon. Go look up Rich Ferguson on the interwebs. Thank you. All right.